You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. All right, ready? One, two, three. Hey, it's Grace. Hey, it's Melissa. Hi, it's Shannon. And hey, it's Ed. So uh, today we're going to dive into the case of Elanka Khan. Uh, she was a 22-year-old stay-at-home mom from rural Huntington Mills. Um, and I found that this is also called Shikshini. Have any of you guys ever been in this oh, area? No, I've yes. never even heard of it. Yeah, it's kind of a like coal region. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So um, I looked it up on, on Google Maps, and it's kind of like a stone's throw from Berwick, Bloomsburg, Wilkes-Barre, up in that area. But it, I've heard it called Huntington Mills. I've heard it called Huntington Township, Shikshini. I mean, it's it's... So when I use this term, they're all interchangeable. I didn't realize those (laughs) were the same. I've heard of Huntington Township, but I'm from the Bloomsburg area. My family is. And I've only ever heard Shikshini in reference to that. So that's interesting. that's kind of where this story takes place. It's in the Shikshini area. It was was on formerly Shikshini Road. Okay. So it's it's kind of right in this rural farming community. So not much has been published about Elanka's personal life other than she was a quiet woman who mostly kept to herself. She had blonde hair, blue eyes, and was described as being five foot six and 122 pounds. Um, if you guys look, there's a picture of her down there. It, she has that typical kind of 1960s bob. The first thing I thought of was like June Cleaver mm-hmm. when I saw it. I thought she looked like she reminded Is me of... Is that a bob? Of, yes. And she reminded me of the woman in Bewitched who played Samantha, Elizabeth Montgomery. She had yes. that. Yeah. Stuff. She looks yes. just like her. It like flips out. Yes. Yep. You're right. Getting into the case. So sometime, things are a little fuzzy on the backstory, but sometime in the mid-1960s, Alanka met Charles Kahn Jr. while attending college at Moorhead State University in Moorhead, Kentucky. And I was unable to figure out kind of if Alanka and Charles were, I know Alanka was originally from Ohio. And it was strange that they, I don't know how they both ended up in college in Kentucky. But regardless, I was unable to kind of figure out how these people ended up in Kentucky, especially the University of Kentucky, because Charles was originally from Kentucky. His dad owned a trailer in Benton, which from Huntington Mills is only about a 20-minute drive west down Route 239. And he also had a permanent home in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And I know that Alanka and her family were originally from Ohio. So how they ended up in Kentucky, I have no idea. Hmm. Regardless, in 1968, the couple wed and they moved into a two-story farmhouse on approximately 75 acres of land on Shikshini Road 3. Looking at it from the aerial view, it's a it is a massive, massive property. It takes up the whole, I mean, the whole screen. <laughs> wow. There are some clumps of woods, but it's mostly fields, swampland, and there's a 14-foot deep lake behind the house where Charles and Alanka lived. The nearest neighbor lived a quarter mile away down a dirt road. By 1970, Charles was working as a shop teacher at nearby Berwick Junior High, and Alanka was a stay-at-home mom to the couple's 15-year-old son, Charles Can III. In this story, there's a lot of Charles Kahn, so we got to try to keep them straight. There's Charles Kahn Sr., who's the dad, Charles Kahn Jr., who Alanka was married to, and then okay. their son is Charles Kahn III. Oh, jeez. Okay. So it'll all, come <laughs> it'll all come into play. So while at home, one of Alanka's favorite activities was listening to the Top 100 on the radio. She especially loved the Beatles and Bobby Vinton. And one important thing to also note was that Alanka didn't drive or own a vehicle, and she was three months pregnant with the couple's second child which only a few close friends knew about. 
For the cons, everything seemed picture-perfect until Tuesday, May 26, 1970. At 7.30 a.m. that morning, Charles kissed Alonka goodbye before heading off to school. When he returned around 3.30, he opened the door and heard the 15-month-old crying in his crib upstairs. Charles Jr. immediately contacted his father, Charles Sr., who met him at the farm. The two searched the property high and low, but Alonka was nowhere to be found. However, her purse and some money was still in the home. What a scary thing to come home and hear your baby crying and your wife's personal belongings that she would normally take with her are still there. Like That just sounds eerie. Right. Do we know if like the door was locked or if it looked like someone had tried to break in? That I don't know. I, I When I get into the investigation later, the cops thought it looked pretty normal. Like there were no, there was no sign of a burglary or anything. So it was just like she vanished. Right. So it was pretty crazy. And the fact that she didn't drive, that's the scary part. And she left her poor baby. And that's the other thing. Like what mom would leave a 15-month-old behind? Uh, so here's where things start to get suspicious. Charles waited 24 hours before driving to the Pennsylvania State Police Barracks in Shikshini to report Alonka missing. According to the police reports, Charles gave two reasons for his actions. One, he thought there was a mandatory 24-hour waiting period to report someone missing. And two, he was concerned about his job and his 15-month-old son. According to Charles, he had no idea where Alonka could have gone, but he knew he needed someone to watch Charles III so he could make it to work the next day. So around 9 p.m., he and his father drove the baby to his parents' place in New Jersey so his mother could care for him. Drove back to Huntington Mills and attended school the next day. I'm sorry. So right there, you... <laughs> your <laughs> wife is missing and left your baby behind, which you know is not right, and you're concerned about your job. Your baby, sure, but your job? I know. Yeah, very sus. Yeah, he definitely showed up for work the next day. Oh, so. man. Okay. State police immediately launched an investigation. Over 100 officers, along with volunteers from the Huntington Township Fire Company, descended on the can's sprawling property. They searched extensively the home, grounds, and neighboring farms, but turned up nothing. According to Pennsylvania State Sergeant Carl Gers, G-U-E-R-S, uh, there was no sign of any violence. Their house was clean. As I remember, there were a few dishes in the sink. She just disappeared into thin air. We checked just about every inch of that farm. We'd done a lot of walking and tramping through woods, always looking for fresh ground or what might be a grave or something like that. It looked like she just disappeared off the face of the earth. Pete Scherer, treasurer of the Huntington Township Fire Company, told reporters that volunteers and police walked side by side so they would not miss any ground. Some places were real swampy, and we went right through the swamp and all, making sure nothing seemed to be overturned. It was knee-deep in some places. We searched the woods all over and couldn't find anything. There wasn't a clue or any reason that she'd run away. The following day, the Scranton police scuba team spent three hours searching the large pond on the, con on the Cons farm, but turned up nothing. Police also checked all local train, bus, and airplane departures, but could find no evidence that Alonka was on any of them. So, by all accounts, it seemed like Alonka vanished into thin air. And, and kind of based on the facts so far, what do you all think happened? I mean, it's, it, to me, there seems like three possibilities. One... Did Alonka choose to leave on her own, leave Charles behind, leave the baby behind, just start a new life? Was someone on the property that day and maybe kidnapped Alonka while Charles was at school? Or did Charles have something to do with it? Kind of how I see it. Was there any talk about her having any sort of negative feelings about being pregnant again? 
Yes. And I, it didn't come out necessarily right away. Okay. But yes. So like. And I, I have some kind of more things to reveal. Okay. I was going to ask, go how did he feel about the pregnancy? Like the husband? That's, it's funny, funny you ask. <laughs> so I, we can, let me get into the investigation. Okay, You'll see this all kind of come to light. Okay. No, that's okay. No, it's, that's a very good question. I was like, do we talk about it now? Because I kind of <laughs> want to leave this a little. So tips were hard to come by. Uh, and so remember, the closest neighbor lived a quarter mile away. So if anything happened on that property, chances are no one heard or saw anything. It was pretty out there. Right. However, during a canvas of the area, one neighbor did mention seeing a vehicle that he didn't recognize driving on a dirt lane leading to the Cans Con's house. Sorry, I get that mixed up. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I think it's Con. Leading up to the Con's house the night before Alanka vanished. Unfortunately, not much could be done with the tip. And there was only one real kind of red herring that I found, um, and he popped up in a, a Bloomsburg Press Enterprise article in 1993. Sergeant Carl Gers told reporters that back in 1970, police had identified a man who they believed knew something about Alonka's disappearance. Gers wouldn't name the suspect, but said, Our investigation did center around one person. We checked the fella out quite a bit, but just couldn't put anything all together. Unfortunately, that suspect died sometime between 1970 when Alonka went missing and 1993 when the article was published. So I looked into this a little bit further and I think it sounds like Gers was referring to a neighbor named Pete, um, but kind of not much happened with it. So we don't know why he was a suspect. We don't know. Hmm. No, and then so much was... time had passed and he had passed away. So um, that was really the only info I could find on it. Hmm. So rewind back to 1970, specifically September 4th, four months after Alanka vanished. And Alanka's family has identified a suspect of their own, and they decided to take matters into their own hands. As I tell you this story, I, I just want to say I love vigilante justice. <laughs> like, I don't uh, condone it, <laughs> but I do love that. I feel like that's how I would respond if, like, something happened to my family. That sounds like my husband. That sounds like a husband thing, <laughs> actually. Yes. Maybe it is. Yeah. Yeah. So on September 21st, around 10 a.m., Clinton Harless, uh, Alanka's father, rounded up a distant relative named Paul Allen, who lived in Julian, West Virginia. The two drove to the Kahn's farmhouse in Huntington Mills, or Shikshini. Uh, before leaving, Harless told his wife that he was just going to do some more searching on the property. But in reality, they were 100% certain Alanka's husband, Charles, or his father, Charles Sr., had something to do with this or had knowledge of. When Harless and Paul arrived, they encountered Charles Kahn Sr. on the property and immediately grabbed him by the arm, saying, we're going to have a little man-to-man -man talk. They dragged the elder Kahn into the woods and chained him to a tree by his neck, wow. putting a padlock on Oh it. my God, I was not expecting that. <laughs> right? I wasn't either. I'm like, wow, this wasn't just a man-to-man -man talk. This was... Oh, whoa. He wanted info. Uh, Harless would later testify... Uh, my daughter was missing, missing and they would never give me any answers to the questions I would ask. They kept changing the subject. So for the next five hours, Clinton Harless and Paul Allen threatened Charles Kahn Sr. with an ice pick and what turned out to be an unloaded BB gun. They never caused Kahn Sr. any physical harm. Instead, they were just trying to scare him into talk. But Kahn Sr. never gave them any additional information, only told them more big tales. So they're saying their stories were constantly changing. They had a different version of events each time they they uh questioned them so there was like yeah it's almost like they didn't give him really no they, consistency there yeah they just kind of kept dodging the questions yeah that's shady so, real suspicious 
Around 3.15 that afternoon, the men noticed a car pulling up to the house. It was Alonka's husband, Charles Jr., returning home from school. Harless testified to telling Charles Sr. that if they brought his son to see him when he was tied up, then he would surely talk. When Charles Jr. exited his car, Paul Allen ambushed him and a struggle ensued. Charles Jr. managed to get away and run to his neighbor house, which was a quarter mile away, and call police. And now, this was kind of the interesting, like, I get what they were doing, but this was an interesting little tidbit that kind of came out about that altercation. So Harless was alleged to have told Charles Kahn Sr. that since he, meaning Carl uh, Kahn Sr., was once a medic in the Navy, um, that he performed an abortion on Alonka's unborn child and she died as a result. Charles Kahn Sr. asked Clinton Harless if he thought his daughter would allow an abortion, to which Harless replied no, that Kahn Sr. probably drugged Alonka because he would know how to get drugs. So any thoughts on that theory, that the, the pregnancy played a role in her disappearance? I think it did. So they're saying that the senior drugged her and performed an abortion without her knowing? Something to that effect? That's dark. I think he was grasping at straws and just... Maybe he knew something. Kind of looking for answers. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be really frustrated. I mean, I could see that, especially if the husband wasn't super happy about it. Do we know, is there like financial strain or did he just not want another kid? Do we know any of that? We do. And that's all. This is all building. I keep skipping <laughs> Your questions ahead. are really I'm good. Sorry. Dude. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. I can just tell you the I'm end. So we can just go right to the end of it. <laughs> Clinton Harless and Paul Allen were arrested and later that month charged with assault and battery. They were each released on $500 bail. Uh, and what's awesome is they eventually had a bench trial, which is like, um, you guys know what that is, like without a, a without jury. a judge uh, or without, sorry, sorry without a jury. Based. It's just a, in front of a right. judge. Uh, and they were found guilty, but their sentence was that they never returned to Luzerne County again. And according to the the source of the source of mine, who I will not name, uh, they both adhered to that order and have never been back in Luzerne County. I love that. It's like, OK, just get out of here. You're someone else's problem now. Like. That's that's exactly. my favorite kind of justice. Don't do it again. Just don't do it again. Don't come back here. Bother someone else. That's exactly. just an interesting sentence. Just being exiled. Like, yeah. Get out right. of here. Don't and come back. And the fact that they, as far as everybody knows, he they have not. Huh. Uh, on May 28th, 1971, on the one-year anniversary of Alanka being reported missing, Clinton Harless takes out an ad in the Berwick Enterprise asking for any information about his missing daughter, along with the offer of a $1,000 reward. Uh, that's about 8000 today. I kind of did the, used the online calculator, so about eight grand. Uh, no new leads were developed, unfortunately. So this is where things start to get even stranger. So uh, around this time, Charles Kahn Jr., Alonka's husband, begins dating Grace Page Brown. Um, she's an art teacher at Berwick Senior High, so I guess they met through school functions because he was worked at the junior high as a shop teacher. Grace quickly moves into the farmhouse in Huntington Mills and was fully aware of Charles's marriage to Alanka, as well as the mysterious circumstances surrounding her disappearance. Still, Grace took Charles's last name without Charles ever filing for a divorce from Alanka or trying to have her declared legally dead. So now, within a year, he's got this other woman in there, and she's, by all accounts, a second wife. So they can't get legally married because he's still technically married, but she changed her last name. That's what you're saying. Correct. So hmm. she, they like pretend married and it kind of. That's not weird. No, not at all. And is hmm. he still raising the baby or did he like, 
it's her parents or? I did find out that the baby got, yeah, the baby was with uh, his parents. Oh, okay. His parents. Uh, as time passes, rumors continue to swirl around Shikshini regarding Charles's involvement. Charles Jr., that is. Um, some of the things I was told about his reputation and behavior were kind of, I mentioned off the record, so I, I can't get into too much, but it's safe to say that many in town suspected Charles Jr. I'm starting to as well. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> yeah. Me too. You get smart. During the next 10 years, Charles finds himself back in the spotlight on several occasions. In November of 1971, six months after Alonka's disappearance, Charles Jr. and a relative named Cecilia, and this is strange, I could not find who Cecilia is. It could be a sister, a mom, like it's, I don't know who Cecilia is. But they publish a letter to Alonka in the local newspaper. And I was, when I heard, saw the headline, I was fully expecting to read a letter of hope, like, Alonka, if you read this, please come home, sure. something like that. So, but here's what the letter says. To Alonka Khan, you are hereby notified that Charles Khan and Cecilia Khan have filed a petition of adoption for your son, Charles Khan III, which petition alleges that you abandoned your son for a period of six months and more, and a hearing thereon has been fixed for December 2nd, 1971, at 2 p.m. in the Court of Common Pleas of Luzerne County Orphans Court Division, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. If you fail to appear and defend yourself against the allegation of abandonment, a decree in adoption may be granted in your absence. What? So. <laughs> wow. What a, it's like a, is he deflecting, like, do, you know how suspects some kind of like right. over-insert themselves yes, into yeah. things just to like deflect suspicion? That's what it feels like to me. And we don't know who this Cecilia is, like how she's... Related. She's got the last name Khan, so it's got to be someone in his family. I just, yeah, I'm not sure who. Not his mother. Weird. Sorry, I don't remember if you gave his mother's name earlier. Uh, I don't think I know his mother's name. No, I don't know. I don't even know what to make of that at all. I know. I know. Yeah. That's either like if you're if he's innocent, it's a jolt to get her to you know either come back or get in touch or something, or like you said, a, a deflection of guilt. Yeah, like like over, make yourself appear yep. like not the guy yeah. mm -hmm. so that, that people think you're not the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, that's what people are thinking for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Fast forward to January 1975. So now we're about five and a half years after Alonka's disappearance. And Charles Kahn Jr. is indicted on two counts of making terroristic threats and one count of recklessly endangering another person. And very few details about this exist, but it seems like a pretty serious charge. Yeah. But it was it was newspaper worthy, but it was pretty vague. Then in July of 1977, Charles Kahn was fired from his teaching job at Berwick Junior High. The dismissal case involved charges of immorality based on use of profanity. The local uh, local directors cited persistent negligence in Kahn's termination. Um, and I found out later he was actually making inappropriate remarks to female students and would also like fly off the handle when he got upset. I'm glad so, he got fired for main. that, but he didn't get fired for being indicted on making That's terroristic threats thinking. and reckless endangerment nope. like two years before that. <laughs> and maybe it was coming. Maybe they were like building a case against him and it just took a year and a half, yeah. two years to like get it all together. I don't know. That's fair. And it was also 1977. So also yeah. fair, but times were different. Holy cow. And yeah. I actually think I'll have to check with my father-in-law. He's from Berwick. He had, might have been going to the school at this time. I'll have to ask him. Oh, man. Yeah. 
See if he yeah, knows. Yeah, I will. But I tried to like, when I hear these things, I'm like trying to put myself back in that era and just realize how different things were. And even like perhaps Alanka's role in the house, maybe she was like told to be a stay-at-home mom and just kind of do that 50s, 60s kind of mentality. Sure. Like, you know, you're not working. You're just staying at home. You're going to take care of the kids. So... Following Khan's firing, he opened Green Tree Enterprises, a construction company that specializes in pole buildings. Um, and the business still remains in operation today. I checked I've it out. Heard it's, of it. it's listed at his home. Yeah. Oh, so, that's Charles Khan. Wow. Great reviews, by the way. <laughs> Apparently, he builds an amazing pole building. Just sucks as a person. <laughs> Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the next milestone in the case happens in 1987. So now we're about 17 years after Alanka's disappearance. Grace Brown Kahn uh, files for divorce from Charles Kahn. Um, and now this is a problem because, remember, Charles Kahn is still legally married to Alanka. So she's trying to divorce him as well. But there's all kinds of legal ramifications because it's held up in court because they don't know what to do. It's like technically you're still married to Alanka, but she's clearly missing. So, But I thought they were never technically, he and Grace were never able to get technically married. They weren't, but. So so in Grace's petition, she states that because she had cohabitated with Charles since 1971, they were common okay. law. So oh, when yeah. she wanted out, she wanted she wanted alimony. She wanted equitable distribution. She wanted legal fees, okay. all the stuff. But it was like, can you give that to sure. her if she's if he's still married? You know, did they ever have kids together? No, no, not that I could tell. Ultimately, the court ruled that Grace and Charles had entered into a common law marriage on June 1st, 1982. And I'm not sure how they picked that date because she moved in in 71 uh, and that Grace could proceed with her divorce action. The divorce was granted in 1990. Charles appealed and the court ruled that even though he had never tried to have Alanka legally declared dead, she was presumed deceased as of 1977, seven years after her disappearance. <laughs> so she got the, the divorce and all that money. But it took eight years? It yeah, well, I mean, she, let's see, 19... 19- 87 oh, is when she filed. Okay. Took three years. Yes, three sorry. Years. They were entered into the common law in 82. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. So, and one thing uh, that not mentioned in the filing was the reason Grace wanted out. Um, and I learned the details later on, and I'm, I'll get to them in just a bit. And when you hear them, your jaw will hit the floor. I mean, it's insane. Not much happens with the case until 1993 when a cold case team takes another look at the case. According to an article in the Bloomsburg Press Enterprise, Pennsylvania State Police were in the process of contacting every person who was involved in this case 23 years ago. The article reveals some interesting details that hadn't been released in the 70s, like the suspicious vehicle driving on the Cairns property and the suspect police looked at quite a bit. But at the end of the day, detectives failed to drum up any new evidence. So at this point, the mystery surrounding Alanka Khan's disappearance has become a thing of Huntington Mills lore. And as we know, what happens with these old cold cases, like time passes, witnesses die, people's memories fade. So the chance of solving solving a case this old kind of goes out the window mm-hmm. every year that passes. Do they really have any evidence? No. I mean, from the house or any physical evidence? No. And they the only thing they did as far as um, kind of forensics go is... Um, they they in ninety three they took familial DNA like they took DNA samples from her her parents her sibling um, just in case they find her they wanted to do a match but as far as like physical evidence there really was none wow so but her story does not end there so in July of twenty twenty two so this is just last year I was tipped off about a potential development 
And this is where I first heard about the story, I should tell you. So it was, it was last July. I was talking to my, my source, and he brought up this case that I had never heard of. And he's like, something big's in the works, we think, right? So the Pennsylvania State Police were organizing a dig at 70 Con Road, former Shikshini Road 3. So in that, over those years, it was renamed Con Road because of how much property his family's land took up. So now this road where this happened is Con Road. Their intent was to drain the large pond on Khan's property and use new technology called ground-penetrating radar system, which identifies anomalies and or voids in the soil. So when the, uh, what I read, the pond, when it was searched in the 70s, they used like a grappling hook to dredge. The scuba divers went under and like just drug a grappling hook, hoping that it'll catch something. Sure. So obviously technology had grown so much since then. They hoped that new technology would be able to locate Alonka's body. And so needless to say, when I heard this, my first question was, what, what information sparked this so search? Nice. Like the case was essentially dormant for all those years. Like what, what happened? And he couldn't tell me much at the time, only that um, an investigation was quietly happening behind closed doors. So I didn't know much. I just knew like something big was happening. They were maybe going to find a lunk. Oh, that's always so interesting. Like what tip know, did right? they get? What did they find out? Why did they suddenly decide to do it? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what were they hearing? And it has to be like to dig up somebody's property. This can't just be like, I think he did right. it. Like, it needs to be. Is that still big. their property? Do we know? Or is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. He still lives there. Wow. Yeah. Khan still lives there. That's where the address for Green Tree Enterprises is 70 Con Road. So I waited eagerly for details to surface. And finally, on July 27th, news of the dig hit the papers. Sadly, in the article, police chose to remain mum on the results, but it doesn't appear that Alonka was found. So that was kind of sad to hear. Like, I was waiting for this big... Big reveal. Ha-ha moment, this big crescendo, you know, and it just never just never happened. I feel like we run into that a lot, investigating um, and researching cold cases, and especially, you know, police will say uh, a press conference is coming or something like that, and I'm like, this article was three years old and there's no update. Like, right. uh, it's so frustrating. Right. That's gotta be... And the article, like, never said... It didn't say they didn't find her either, so it just it was kind of real vague, like, they're digging? Stay tuned. Sure. That's got to be so tough because as you're telling it, like I'm sitting here holding my breath, like we're going to find her. So I can't even imagine how the police and everyone working so hard on this have to feel. Yeah, I know. And you just you're you're when you're getting like apparently great tips about something and then it just doesn't pay it out. It's like, man, you had. So in preparation for this episode, I followed up with my contact on like what happened in all this. Um, And he sent me some incredible information. So he, he emailed me the search warrant application that was submitted by the state police for the dig. Uh, and needless to say, I was blown away, blown away. So if you're familiar with these documents, they're basically, they outline all of the evidence that police have to explain why a judge should authorize this warrant. So the judge will read it and see all this proof and sign off on it. Um, and I should mention that this is now a publicly available court document. However, from what I can tell, this hasn't been picked up by any media outlet. So there's a good chance what I'm going to say has never been heard before, which Ooh. is awesome. We're all leaning closer. To the... I know. I <laughs> Even Not though we're really wearing, my <laughs> wearing headphones, yeah, but we're like. <laughs> <laughs> so you won't find this anywhere. This isn't out there yet at all. Um, but this is a this is from the search warrant application. Uh, in May of 1970, just a few weeks before her disappearance, Alanka Khan wrote two letters to her parents back in Ohio, 
saying how bad things were between she and Charles. The gist of the letters is that Charles's father, Charles Sr., controls everything his son does. He shows up unannounced and makes life miserable for her, and the friction between Alanka and Charles Sr. was becoming unbearable. So obviously this caused a rift between she and Charles Jr., who she refers to as Chuck. Um, Alanka wrote that she confronted her husband and they decided to call it quits and that she was working on a plan to move home to Ohio with her parents. Uh-oh. Yeah. Also, the morning before she vanished, Alanka and her mom talked on the telephone. Uh, I don't know if they discussed any of these kind of marital issues, but um, Alanka was in tears telling her mom how homesick she was. So, and this was just the morning before. So, uh, the court document also revealed that two weeks prior to her disappearance, Alanka told a friend that she was pregnant and that Charles was furious about the news. He'd always threatened to leave her if she had another baby. What? So here's all your... Wow. All your questions about how Charles felt. Here, they're, they're coming to light. You know, does he realize that it takes two people to make a baby that he had to be involved in that i he was there too yeah (laughs) you were there (laughs) that's i know bizarre to say the least so and this was like common knowledge that he did not want another baby and would just leave and i i would suspect that if he if alanka left with the baby, he would owe child support, mm-hmm. alimony, all this other stuff. So this could have been financially motivated okay. for all we know. Yep. I was just going to say, um, I feel like the whole abortion gone wrong theory is looking stronger and stronger as we go, especially now that we know yeah, that's that. that's what I was going to say. It explains why the father, right. her father made that accusation. Right. How sad. Truly. It really is sad. And I mean, it sounds like this... And I'm going to get into some stuff here that, that's just, it's insane. And you could tell she really loved, despite all of this, she loved Charles dearly mm-hmm. and wanted to make it work, but it was just becoming too much. Alanka had expressed the same concern to several friends about Charles being upset by the baby, um, but would never say this with an earshot of Charles out of fear. Any conversations on the matter would always take place on the dirt road outside their home. So if she was talking to a neighbor or something, they would go down the dirt road just away from the wow. house. Um, so it seemed pretty clear that Charles... That she was terrified of him. Do we know, had he been abusive in the past? I was just going to ask that. Yeah. A couple other little things came out. And yes. Yes. Police interviewed several of Alanka's friends. And I believe this was around 2016. Um, This was after the case was reopened, but not right after. So Um, police interviewed several of Alanka's friends, including her college roommate. And remember, Charles and Alanka had met in college. So she Mm -hmm. had kind of direct knowledge of the relationship. And one particularly troubling story emerged. According to the roommate, Charles expected Alanka to be in certain places at certain times. He would become angry if she was not there or if she was late. As punishment, Charles would make Alanka take a cold shower in the middle of winter and walk home nearly a half mile in wet clothing. Oh. This really upset Alanka, obviously, but she loved Charles and was determined to make things work. <sighs> so already back in college, poor Alanka. Signs signs were, poor woman. Yes. Like, yeah. So full on abuse and it seemed like it. Yeah. Emotional and physical. And he just had all the power. Ugh. Right. And I'm guessing because she wasn't working, she kind of felt tied to him. So now I want to get into some of the suspicious things that were happening on Charles's farm. And this is kind of what opens the door for this search warrant. And this is what I was like, the burning question I had. So during the during the time that police were initially searching for Alanka in 1970, Charles had several bulldozers on the property and was in the process of making his pond deeper. 
At the time, police thought nothing of it. But when cold case investigators looked at property records, they noticed the pond had changed shape or been altered several times over the years. Shorelines were moved in and out, and excessive amounts of dirt had been shifted. Most notably, a second, smaller pond was now present on Charles's property. When questioned, Charles claimed that the smaller pond formed in 1972 uh, in the aftermath of Hurricane Agnes. Interestingly, there was an island in the smaller pond with a single pine tree planted in the middle. And that may not seem super interesting, but get this. In May of 2022, an acquaintance of Charles, whose name I cannot mention to protect his anonymity, uh, was interviewed by police and told them about an interesting encounter he had with Charles Kahn. Uh, I don't know when this encounter happened, but it doesn't really matter, to be honest. Uh, apparently, each man owed the other money. For what, I don't know. Could be gambling, could be business-related. But as they bickered about the debts one day, Charles threatened the man, then followed up on the threat by saying, it's like burying your wife under a pine tree. Okay. Wow. Not a common <laughs> phrase. I don't think no. I've ever no. heard anyone, you know, just say that out of the blue. And that is especially interesting because, do you remember the name of his business? Green Tree. Oh, Green, Green Tree. tree. Oh. Ew. And that was started after Alonka went missing. <laughs> wow. Ew. So, super creepy. Super creepy. Is he, like, trying to be obvious? Is it? He's yeah. arrogant. People, do, suspects do that. Yeah, sometimes yeah. right they just like they, they they're like toying with police yeah. almost like catch me if you can i was gonna say do you think he thinks it's like a game like he's doing it to taunt them it's hard to say because they didn't find anything there when they dug it up oh. so like that but that was the evidence they had that was like it's all coming together because everyone in town thought that that's what happened wow this island came out of nowhere from the way he's treated her in the past that we know of, he probably has a lot of narcissistic traits. So he's probably getting off on it. Just. Yeah. I would think so. Ugh. I would think so. I mean, so. they don't think like us. It's really hard for us to wrap our minds around, like, why that would make, how that would make sense. But they just have. And not and obviously not saying he was never arrested. He was never charged. So, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to, like, paint him as the guy who did sure. it. But I mean, these are the facts. Yes. So, I mean, it sure does not look good for Charles Kahn Jr. Do we know if there was abuse between him and Grace? Is that um, the second wife? You are. You are. <laughs> you are one paragraph ahead. <laughs> I keep jumping around. Yes, I told her was. I'm so excited. <laughs> so the last thing I want to mention regarding that acquaintance's conversa uh, 2022 conversation with police. So it wasn't 2016. It was 22. Um, he told detectives that a few years back when the case was reopened, police plastered missing persons flyers all around town. When the posters started appearing, the acquaintance happened to drive by Charles's farm and saw him in his backhoe digging out an area of the pond to the rear of his residence. He stopped and asked Charles what he was doing, and Charles responded that he was replacing the siphons that fed the pond. But the acquaintance believed the poster scared Charles uh, that the case was being reopened and he was making sure the rear of that pond wouldn't dry out. Hmm. So that was kind of the town perception. Anyway, so that's, that's what kind of sparked that dig and why police were so hopeful that she was going to be under that tree, under the island. Wow. So, but she wasn't. Um, it should also be noted that in all those years, Charles did not call police once for an update on the investigation into his wife's disappearance. In fact, he told them during a 2017 interview 
that he was angry every time her case got publicity because it was Good. hurting his business. What the hell? Oh, Charles? Setting that business right under. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was hurting him. It was hurting the child, you know, uh, Charles III. But no, no, it's his business. Okay. Yeah. He's yep. not even trying to appear like no a good guy. He's just like no, he's not at all into that villain. And it takes you back to that that letter he put in the newspaper. Like he are all these calculated moves that he did along the on all those years. I don't know. Ugh. So he might not be a murderer, know. but he's kind of an a hole. <laughs> he's yeah for sure. Pole buildings five stars. <laughs> yeah, husband one star. <laughs> Would leave zero stars I t- if I could. Would. <laughs> do not recommend. Would not marry again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, do not recommend. Also included in the search warrant application were details about Grace Page Brown's divorce decree. And this was the stuff that when you read the decree, it doesn't mention anything about the cause. It's just this is the facts. In an interview Grace did with police in 1995, she states that over the course of their relationship, Charles became increasingly protective and jealous. One night toward the end of their marriage, Grace came home late from a night out only to find a very nice note taped to the front door. Does anyone want to guess what it says? Oh, honey, I missed you so much. Hope you had a nice time. <laughs> XOXO. Yeah, it was not. It was get the f*** out, you slut. Oh, wow. my goodness. That was the note that Charles left for Grace. How do you write she that to late. someone you quote unquote love? How, I mean, how do you even... Say those yeah. words to somebody he, he loves. He doesn't love anybody but himself. These are fragile male egos. Guy. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> I will say. Upon entering the residence, Grace and Charles began to argue. During the fight, Charles pushed Grace down a flight of stairs, grabbed a rifle, and pushed it into her back, causing Grace to leave the home and check herself into a women's shelter in Bloomsburg. Grace eventually returned home and asked for a divorce. That's when Charles pointed a gun at her head and threatened to kill her, saying, I'm going to put you where I put Alanka. Oh, wow. So if that doesn't scream guilty, I don't know what does. Yeah. Holy cow. As we know, Grace went on to serve Charles with divorce papers, but she also filed an order of protection as well. Good for her. So that was kind of the end. Um, So, and that's kind of where the case ends until something just happened about 10 months ago. And... I don't know if this is related to the investigation or not, but it's so suspicious that when I read it, I'm like, I called my contact and I'm like, and he doesn't, he doesn't know. Hmm. So, so just to put you in time, this took place five months after, so 10 months ago from now, five months after they drained Khan's pond and didn't find anything. So flipping through and the headline reads, fire reduces home to rubble. And there's a picture of firefighters working to put out a smoldering farmhouse on the Khan's property. And I looked at the property records. I am... Not a hundred percent sure this is the house where they live because there, there's a couple buildings, but it it's the I'm pretty sure it's the house where they lived, uh, burnt to the ground. I mean, just completely. The Huntington Valley Fire Chief Doug Thomas said the house was fully engulfed in flames when we got there just after 10 a.m. While the fire doesn't appear to be suspicious, it'll be nearly impossible to tell what caused it. The house was so badly destroyed that by the time the fire was extinguished, only a chimney remained. Whoa. Uh, It should be noted that there was no one in the home when the fire occurred. What teacher was he? Like, what did he, what subject did he teach? He was a shop teacher. Oh, Were you wondering if it was like chemistry or? Sure, he (laughs) could figure out how to make a fire without, you know, without it, um, without them being able to tell how it started. I think it was so, by the time firefighters got there, it was so badly damaged 
that it like they hadn't got there in time to figure anything out. Yeah, I was kind of going to say, how long had it been burning? I mean, fire moves He's fast, right. but for the entire house to be that destroyed, it would have had to have right. been burning for a while. And like your your mind goes to arson, like he's covering yeah. up something. Yeah. But it'd been 53 years, you uh-huh. know? So like, I mean, at that point, is anything left anyway? That's, that's true. Usable? I wonder if it was some sort of insurance so, fraud. I mean, he's so, that's that, total, I wouldn't put total speculation. Him. I just, this is just my mind yeah. working. But I mean, if he's so concerned with his business, it's just kind of like, hmm, but. That's obviously. I was thinking about insurance as a motive, but if he never declared her dead, then he wouldn't be able to collect it, right? Correct. Mm. And the courts declared her deceased in that divorce case, but it wasn't like an official declaration of death. It was just for that divorce, that specific thing. So I think legally she's still a missing person. Wow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So he never filed... Then he never went ahead and filed to have her Uh declared legally deceased. Uh That's interesting. No. Right. So I don't know what that means or why he chose to do that. Hmm. Does um, the son, Charles III, has he come out and said anything? I mean, does does he have a relationship with his father? Was his father abusive to him? He has a Facebook page Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't know any details about his relationship with his parents or Alanka's side of the family or anything like that. And is but Charles, I will send you the link later. Thank you. Um, is Charles Sr. still alive? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, he still runs Green Tree Enterprise. Oh, Charles Sr.? Yeah. No, 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 no. Sr. is okay. dead. He passed away some sometime during the investigation. He passed away. Okay. So Wow, that's a doozy. I know. Still no signs of Alanka. No arrests have been made. Um, and I do have some inside information that I will hopefully be able to share at a later date. But for now, the case, uh, the 53-year-old case remains open. Stay tuned. That was great. I mean, I hope that you can update us in the future. Um, and hopefully they can find her, figure something out. You know, her son deserves to know. Well, and I have, once I, I know, I know. And that's what, his Facebook page didn't really give much of an indication that he has a close relationship with anyone, really. Well, if you want to find out more about us, the pod, and the cases we cover, or you want to suggest a case, please visit us at kccpod.com. That's kccpod.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Keystone Cold Cases and Instagram at kccpod. Or you can send us an email at keystonecoldcases at gmail.com. And please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to. That is all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And please consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to find out more about us, the pod and the cases we cover, or want to suggest a case, please visit us at kccpod.com or send us an email at keystonecoldcases at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Keystone Cold Cases and on Instagram and TikTok at KCC Pod. Please remember, never reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by Ed. Find all of our sources, social info, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.